about all that. Let's bow and pray together, and then we're headed into the sermon, into God's Word. We want to hear from God's Word. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you that the room is cooling, that we can sit in comfort. We pray that we would be without distraction as we seek now to draw near to you, to hear your word, to let it speak deeply into our souls. We pray that sinners may be saved. We pray that, pray that believers may be built up and that this would be an hour of serious and weighty soul transactions. So Lord, speak to us, have your way in us. We pray for all in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're gonna read some scripture starting in Ephesians chapter four, verses seven and eight. We'll put these up for you. My hope is after a little bit of reviewing there, we're actually gonna spend the day working on verses 13 through 16. Gonna try and get through all of that today. So we'll see how we do, Lord willing, time permits. But let's read some of what we've already seen in Ephesians four, verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, Psalm 68 says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So first he says, we want a fully functioning unified body. How do we get there? We get there when you, when every member is doing your part, the part for which God has gifted you, you're serving, you're putting your gift into motion in the body of Christ and that builds it all up. Now we're gonna skip down to verse 11 and save a little time. We've already seen verse 11. But it reads, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what do these uh, like more prominent, more noticeable gifted people, what do they do? These apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they don't do all the work of the ministry. They equip the saints, the people of God, those who believe on the Lord Jesus and are saved. They equip them so that all together, they're all functioning, they're all serving, and they're all building up the body of Christ. We saw, we, we saw this a couple weeks ago, but let me just remind you, this is why we want, Lord, help us to have every single one of you serving the Lord somehow with the gifts he's given you. It might be in here on a Sunday, it might be out there on a Monday through a Saturday, but you're serving, you're engaged, you care about it, you're a kingdom passionate person, and you wanna serve with the gifts God has given you. Bless you, so many of you do. May the tribe increase. Now we come down to verse 13. What's the goal of this? What's the end? What are we trying to accomplish by all this, getting everybody serving? having apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What's the goal? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we'll stop in the scripture reading there. We're gonna go through more verses later. We'll put them up when we get there. But that's what we're looking at for now, that part right there, Ephesians 4, 13. What's, what's all this fully functioning body? What are all these pastors and, and uh, overseers and elders, these teachers? What are apostles, prophets, evangelists supposed to accomplish among us? There it is. 
It's to lead us to the point where, until we get to the place where, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So that's where we're going today. Let's take a couple of those phrases and just talk about them kind of quickly. The one I really want to spend some time on is to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, all right? That's where I really want to spend some time today. We're going to think about what does it mean for me to be a mature Christian? What will you look like if you're a mature Christian? How will that be evident? Because these things are supposed to be functioning to bring you and me and all of us to Christian maturity. So let's try and identify that thing so we can then gauge ourselves. Am I there? Am I getting there? Are we there as a church? How are we doing in that? That's where I really want to spend our time. But let's look at a couple of these phrases that lead us up to that. So all the gifts are functioning and building up the body. And here's the first phrase. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So where is this going? It's, it's bringing us all to what Paul calls the unity of the faith. Now, you might remember back in chapter 3, Paul used the word one seven times. He said well, there's one God and one Father and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And so one, 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 one. And then right after that, he used the word all four times, all, 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 all. So he's really made a point we are all to be one, very much one. And that's what he's returning to now and saying, yeah, here's how we get there. We get there by a fully functioning body, every member doing their part, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers doing their more noticeable part, but every member involved. And that leads us to attain the unity, the oneness of the faith. That is to lead us to a place where we all agree in matters of faith and doctrine and practice. And here's how that agreement works. On the core, on the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, we all absolutely agree. So there's not supposed to be any confusion in anybody. There's not supposed to be any waffling in anybody about, is God really a trinity? Is Jesus really God? Is salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone? Is there a substitutionary atoning sacrifice? Is, is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Is the Bible really God's word, inspired, infallible, or inerrant, uh, sufficient, authoritative? Um, we're supposed to be of one mind on these things. We're to be at the unity of the faith. We all believe those things together. We also, here's part of our unity of the faith, we also believe together with one heart and with one voice that there are, and then we can make another list of things, that these are things upon which good brothers and sisters may debate. We can hold different views. We don't demonize you if you hold a different view on that. We don't anathematize you if you hold a different view on that. So there's a big list of things upon which Christians may differ. They're not considered core doctrines except by people for whom everything is a core doctrine, and there are such people, and they end up having a church of one, maybe their wife, but not sure about her. So uh, not that, but rather there's a core list, and we all attain to the unity of the faith on that list, and we attain to the unity of the faith in that we agree on what we can disagree about. We tolerate diversity, if you will, on those issues. We don't fight over those things. So this is where Paul wants us to be and what gets us there. It's every member doing their part. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They're all to get us to the unity of the faith. Then he goes on, next phrase, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
Now, that's not just like the most initial little bit of saving knowledge. All right, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus is sent from God to save me. Lord Jesus, save me. That's probably enough, and he'll save you. If you really mean that with your soul, and you're really turning to him, you just call upon the name of the Lord, and you can become a blood-bought child of God. But will you agree with me? There's a whole lot more knowledge we can have and should have if we're going to be considered to be pure, mature Christians. There's a lot more knowledge about Jesus Christ that we should have. And Paul wants us there. He wants you very sound on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want there to be any confusion, any waffling, any doubt in your mind. You know that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is God who came in human flesh. He gave himself a substitute and an offering for sinners like us. He, um, he died on the cross. He rose again. He appeared. He ascended. He's coming again bodily and visibly to receive his people unto himself. You believe all these things. You have a knowledge of the Son of God. So everybody who's part of Cornerstone Church, that is our desire, that you would arrive at that unity of the faith and of that knowledge of the Son of God. You know who Jesus Christ is, the real Jesus Christ, the one who is presented to us on the pages of Holy Scripture. And then let's go on to the next phrase, and this is the one we want to spend more time on, as I told you, to mature manhood. What's supposed to be happening in church? People are supposed to be growing to what Paul calls mature manhood. Jesus Christ wants you, a follower of his, to be a mature Christian. Whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. Mature Christian, mature adulthood. He wants you to be an adult, not a baby, not a childish, but an adult believer in Jesus Christ, an adult follower of Jesus Christ. And the plan is, a fully functioning body helps bring us there, and the plan is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are there to get us there so that we will be mature in our adult manhood in following Jesus Christ. To summarize what that looks like, that means you have an adult level of understanding of Bible teaching, of Bible doctrine. You're not, like, you're not like a child. I don't know if you noticed, but the, the fiddle player today, her baby is right there, and they kept making eye contact, and then the fiddle player would be just grinning from ear to ear. Did you notice her every now and then looking at her baby? And I guess the baby was going like this at mommy, and she was grinning. Uh, there's a lot of difference between what's in mommy's mind and what's in baby's mind. And it's okay to be a spiritual baby if you're a brand new Christian and you don't know A from Z. But if you've been in the faith for a while, and we'll see this from the book of Hebrews soon, you ought to be arriving at something that Paul calls mature manhood. You're a mature believer. You've got a grasp of the essential and basic Christian doctrines. You're sturdy in those. You're not wobbling in those. You're not tempted to move away from those. So in part, mature manhood means that you're doctrinally mature and stable and sound. In part, it also means you're ethically holy. The word of God has had its effect in your life so that you are now seeking by the grace of God and by the spirit of God to do the things Jesus commands all of his followers. You remember that? That's part of his great commission. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So when you are substantially, you're never perfectly, 
But when you are substantially, in reality, living a life that conforms to the precepts of God's word, then you are a mature, you are an ethically mature, you are a morally mature child of God. Like maybe you're just saved, you were saved out of a life of darkness, you just came to saving faith in Christ, we understand, it might be a little wobbling. You get back with those friends and go somewhere with them on a Friday night and it turns ugly again, we understand. Uh, It shouldn't be, but that might happen. But there ought to be a point where soon you become morally and ethically mature so your life is substantially solid, lived according to the precepts of God's word. But at a deeper level, maybe deeper and maybe even more importantly than that, here's another way in which we are to be mature. You are to be mature in your loves. How many times do I talk about that? In your passions, in your desires. A mature Christian loves what God loves. A mature Christian loves God. That doesn't waver. That's very supreme in his life loves the things of God and the kingdom of God and the word of God and the people of God and the church of God and the gospel of God. A mature believer has mature loves. You're not like a a baby who loves, what do they love? They love their rattle. They love the little, what do you call the thing that's going around over the crib? Yeah, that thing. They, They love that. They love when mommy gives them some milk. All right, but no, a a mature person loves the right things, and a mature Christian loves the right things. So, this is what Paul's after. He wants you, he wants this fully functioning body to bring you to adulthood as a child of God. You become adult in your doctrine, you become adult in the ethics by which you live, and you become adult in your loves. How you doing? How you doing in all that? So, that's what Paul's after. Now, let me give you some other scriptures that help us. Let me give you some parallel passages that help us to see how important this is, that help us to flesh this out, this idea of the, the, the mature manhood that Paul wants us all to get to. So I'm going to jump ship from this passage. I'll put some verses up there for you. First is 1 Corinthians 13, 11. And here Paul is likening his physical life to his spiritual life. Physical life. When I was a child... I spoke like a child, right? You say childish things. You're in the back seat of the car on the way to a vacation, a long way away, and it's, Daddy! He put his hand on my side of the seat. Childish things. Because you love the wrong things, and you're upset about the wrong things, and you speak like a child. And I thought like a child. Even my very thinking was childish. You know, it takes the human brain a long time to develop, right? It takes males longer because the end result's better. Yeah. It takes males longer to develop. We're a little slow on the take, but the end product's sweet, all right? Be patient with us. Paul says, I was a kid. I I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. I was a child. And I reasoned like a child. Is there a way children reason? Yeah, they don't. They can't reason well. And this is the problem if you get to be 27 and you still can't reason well. You can't think well. You can't think your way through situations. This is a big problem. And then Paul says, but when I became a man, here's adulthood, I gave up childish ways. 
I didn't speak like a child anymore. I didn't think like a child anymore. I didn't reason like a child anymore. I'm thinking and speaking and reasoning like an adult, like a man. Now, that's what he wants for you spiritually. So that as is, that is a follower of Jesus Christ, you can say, yeah, I was a baby believer. It was all gaga, goo goo, da da. But, but no more now. Now I'm, I'm able to speak mature things, sound doctrine from God's word. Now I'm able to present to the Lord Jesus a very imperfect but a substantially biblical ethical life. And, and my loves line up with the loves the Bible tells me I should have. And so I've put away childish things. I gave up childish ways. He says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Corinthians weren't doing so good. They were acting childishly. And he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. We want to all be spiritual people. We're characterized by the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. The spiritual things are the big things. But I, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So here they were, they've been believers for a while, but they're still acting and thinking and talking like they're infants in Christ. It's still, Daddy... I'm a Peter. Well, I'm a Paul. Well, I'm a well, I'm of Christ. And it was all that kind of thing. And so Paul says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. They should have been ready for it. Just by virtue of the passing of time, they've gotten a little bit older than in Christ. They ought to be ready for meat. They ought to be ready for substantial biblical instruction. They ought to have an appetite for it and a love for it and a mind and a heart for it. But Paul says, y'all didn't, and I had to give you milk. They were only doing doctrinal baby stuff. And it led them to be childish. Let's go a little farther, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 4. And he says, even now, even, and even now you are not yet ready. You're not ready for the solid food. You're not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human, which he is equating with really being a baby Christian? So when you're acting like sinful fallen humans who don't have Christ, who don't have the Spirit of God, who don't have the Word of God, Paul says, all right, you're a believer, you profess Christ, but you're a baby, you're a baby Christian, still acting like babies. That part about I follow Paul and another I follow Apollo, I follow Apollos and another I follow Cephas or Peter and another I follow Christ. That's like babyish sectarianism. Please don't have just one preacher. He's the only guy I listen to. Please don't have one guy. Please have four guys anyway. Please have a bunch of guys so that you're not just, no, I only listen to Paul. Paul's my bread and butter, man. Paul's it. Please don't have that. An old country preacher that I got to hear live many years ago. I'm sure he's long in glory now. Anybody heard of Vance Havner? Not a soul in, oh, all right, you, yeah, we're the two oldest guys in the room, brother. So, oh, and Mark too? All right, yeah, the three oldest guys in the room. So, so Vance Havner was a good old country preacher back in the day. And I remember him talking, he was preaching from this passage, and I was there, and he was preaching. The, the title of the sermon was Babies of the Church. And he was talking about when a guest preacher comes and they don't have their pastor, they say, I don't like him. He changed my formula. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. 
So you ought to like somebody else besides the one that gives you your formula. They're all, Paul's going to argue, they're all your gifts. God gives them all to you. Enjoy them all. All right, more than one guy. So what are we seeing? This is how Paul wants us to get to, to go back to our text, to a Christian or mature adult Christian manhood. We're going to jump to the book of Hebrews and see more about that. What's it mean to be a mature Christian? What are some passages that flesh that out a little more? Hebrews 5 is a very important one. So we'll pick it up in verse 11. The, uh, the author has been writing to them about Christ and an Old Testament prophet king guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. You heard of Melchizedek? So he's teaching about Melchizedek, and he, it's like he puts his pen down and says, man, it's hard explaining them about Melchizedek, not because he didn't have the knowledge, but because they didn't have the readiness. He realized it's hard to explain this to you, and the problem's on you. Let's see how he says it, uh, Hebrews 5.11. About this, Christ and Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain why, since you have become dull of hearing. So the problem wasn't him. He was armed. He knew how to explain Christ to Melchizedek. He was loaded. He had a lot to say. But he knew he had a problem in the hearers. They had grown dull of hearing. Some thick spiritual wax had formed in their ears, and they needed to have it cleaned out. And when you said to them, Christ and Melchizedek, they went, huh? What? Huh? I that wasn't in my formula. I didn't like that. And he goes on to say, Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time, there's that idea again, just by virtue of the fact that you've been a believer for a little while, just because the clock has ticked and you've gotten a little older in Christ, for though by this time, you ought to be teachers. Just because you've been around the faith for a while, you ought to be able to explain to somebody else the gospel some of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. We're not saying you need to be a world-class systematic theologian. We're not saying you need to be a seminary professor quality. We're not saying you need to be able to write a book that would stand the test of time. But by this time, you ought to be teachers on some level. But instead, he goes on, but you need someone to teach you again the gagagugu, the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. So he had people in his pews, if you will, and they were sitting there. And what he had to do to explain things to them, it's like when I was a baby and my mother had to give me contacts because I had terrible hay fever. Well, then when I was a boy, and I didn't want to take those contact pills. It was a capsule you'd take apart and there were little little real little dots all inside it different colors anybody remember those old contact pills you three of us again <laughs> i can look to you too and be sure so so what you do is you would fill a spoon with honey and then drop those little bits out of the capsule into the honey and then it would be an airplane and i was the hanger and she would fly it into my mouth that's what my dear mama would do to get me to take my hay fever pills, my contact pills. And the author of the book here is saying, I got to fly everything into you on honey. I got to water it down. I got to babyfy it. I got to make it like real little pieces. And I got to fly them into your mouth on honey and make it like a game. 
because you've come to need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. Let's go on to verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Children are unskilled in thinking. They're unskilled in truth. They're unskilled in reasoning. And again, he's not saying you ought to be a world-class systematic theologian. He's not saying you, by now you should have memorized Deuteronomy in Hebrew. It's not the point. But what he is saying is there ought to be a basic level of skill that you have in the word of righteousness just because you've been going to church, hanging out in a Bible study for a, a, a while. Like not 15 years while. Like a lot less of a while. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. So here we get like a blatant statement. What does a mature believer, remember we're in Ephesians 4, Paul wants us to get to maturity, to Christian manhood. What does a mature believer look like? Here's one of the characteristics. They're able to handle solid food. It doesn't have to be fly, flown in on a spoon with honey. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, kids don't have that, adults do, trained by constant practice, practice in there's what the will of God is, it says so in the word, here's what I'm going to do with my life. There's the word, here's my life. There's, my, there's the word conforming my life. There's the word changing my life. By constant practice, you've learned to distinguish good from evil. So you're not like Eve in the garden. That looks good. Sure, let's take it and eat. Here, Adam, this is great. It'll make us wise like God. No, no, no. Your powers of discernment have been trained, so you say, no, no, wait, that's evil. I know from God's word. Wait a minute, that's good. I know from God's word. You're becoming, or you are, a mature Christian. So the immature, unskilled in the word of righteousness. The mature, solid food is for them. They've been trained by applying the word of God to life. And let me just tell you, let me just pause here and tell you. So I guess there's a spectrum of how doctrinal churches are. Like from the least, like it's hard to find out what they even believe, to the most, they're very beefy, solid, sturdy, doctrinally. So we want to be on the Texas Roadhouse end of that spectrum. You with me? You get me? We want to be on the, what's the place, Fogo end of that spectrum. And you all come in and you turn your card over on Sunday and it's green. And it just stays green. And we just keep dishing out the Fogo meat because you're like, green, give me some more. <clears throat> give me some more. That's where we want to be as a church. So take all those passages, haul them back with you to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 13 again. And it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. All right, just before we leave that, so how are you doing with that? Where would you rate yourself? I'm a baby Christian, but I'm 15 years old in Christ. I'm a child as a Christian, but I'm 15 years old in Christ. I'm mature as a Christian, though I'm only one year old in Christ. Where, where are you on that scale? Where are you on that spectrum? Jesus Christ intends a fully functioning body with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers undergirding it all 
to lead you to a place where you are a mature, robust, strong believer. Let's go on to the next phrase. To the measure of the stature. Like, how strong do I need to be, preacher? Here's how strong. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, whatever that means, it's, it means a lot. Like, it's not just a little bit. It's not just a thimbleful. It's the fullness. By the way, Paul's into that word fullness. He uses it in Ephesians 1.23, fullness of Christ. 3.19, fullness of Christ. 5.18, fullness. John likes it. John 1.16, fullness of Christ. Paul again, Colossians 1.19, fullness of Christ. Paul again, Colossians 2.9, fullness of Christ. That's an important phrase in Scripture. And he wants us to become so mature that we could responsibly be called, oh, they're up to the level of the fullness of Christ. All right, that's not fair. How are you doing in that one? Yeah, we all have a long way to go, don't we? I don't feel very much like I'm up to the fullness of Christ. What this means is you have lots and lots and lots and lots of Jesus Christ in you. You love him with all your heart. You know the doctrines about him. You cling to his word. You seek to follow him faithfully. You repent when you fail, and you turn back to your Savior. So that's what Paul wants, mature manhood. But now he gives us a contrast. Let's go on to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children, and here's a characteristic of children again, tossed to and fro by the waves. Let's stop there. So children are tossed by waves, right? You go down to Ocean City, you take your two-year-old, and you sit him down when the wave has gone out, you sit him down where the wave's going to come in, and what happens? The wave come in, comes in and breaks on your two-year-old, and what happens? Does he just sit there strong? No, you're probably going to get arrested for letting your two-year-old have the wave break on him, but, but what's he going to do? It's going to toss him. He's going to go rolling. You're going to go rolling if a big enough wave hits you. And Paul says, that's what we don't want. We don't want waves of error and waves of falsehood and waves of temptation to be able to toss you. You're a strong, a robust, a mature Christian, no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves, no longer carried about by every wind of doctrine. You don't like hoist a moist finger aloft. Which way is the wind of doctrine blowing in my culture now? Oh, I'll go with that. Now, you're not duped by that. You're not fooled by that. You're not taken captive by that. But you're able to keep your finger on God's word and judge that by God's word. And you don't get blown around by the latest fad of, of theory or psychology or human doctrines. By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Wow, that's a mouthful. What person in the Bible does that remind you of? Not person. What being in the Bible? That's Satan. There's a lot of satanic stuff going on. It's cunning. It's crafty. It's deceitful. What was the devil's first salvo? Eve. God didn't really say, and you can eat it, and it'll make you like him. He's holding out on you. You ought to be envious. You ought to be jealous. And she fell for it. No. None of that human cunning, none of that craftiness, none of those deceitful schemes. Now, I just want to ask you, is there any of that in our day? 
Just a little bit? How many think just a little bit? How many think a lot? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that in our day, huh? Like, we are really deluged in our day with human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes that are ultimately in error, and they're just plain dumb. They're just plain dumb. So we're not to be easily taken by those things. We're not to be easily tossed by those things. Rather, we're to be mature. Let me pause here and make a few applications. Young people, well, you know what? Let me do it differently because I would like, I'm going to save those applications because I want to cover a few more quick. So now nah, we won't get to. I'm going to be messed up next week. Oh, well, preacher's problems. Some applications. Young people, we want you to grow into robust, strong, mature followers. There's a slide for this slide. There you go. Followers of Jesus Christ. You parents who have young people, there's what you want for them, amen? There's the goal for them. I want my son, I want my girl, I want them to be robust, strong, mature followers of Jesus Christ. That's what I pray for. That's what I labor for. I want that for them more than anything, amen? Like if, if my son had a choice and he could be, be a brain surgeon or he could be a, you name something on the other end. I won't name it because one of you might be it. And he could be the brain surgeon, but not be a robust Christian. Or he could be the other and be a robust. Which do you want? Yeah, I want the other. Because I really want him. I want them. I want her. I want my grandkids, all 12 of them, to grow into robust, strong, mature Christians who are adult in their understanding and in their commitment to Jesus Christ. That matters to Grandpa. That matters to mom. That matters to dad. Second application. So the, the pulpits of Jesus' churches must not be, maybe I should have said, must not serve mainly milk. Amen? So I hear this thing regularly from people who become part of our church. Uh, shouldn't you just be preaching like to the lowest common denominator? Shouldn't you be preaching mainly to the non-Christians? And even though it's all very milky, 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 that's what they need. And so this is our evangelistic strategy. We'll just preach to non-Christians and you all theoretically bring them in. No, that's not at all what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be feeding you on beefsteak. We're supposed to be bringing you up to a mature level of doctrinal commitment and doctrinal understanding as well as bring your heart to the right place and bring your ethical life to the right place. And the pulpits of Jesus' churches simply must not be serving mainly milk. The gathered worship of the church is not mainly for non-Christians. It is mainly for believers to build them up to strengthen them in the things of the Lord. The pulpit must not be aimed at the uninitiated and the unlearned and keep the whole church dumbed down. You say, but, but a non-Christian might come in. Good. They need to see the church in action. They need to see believers dealing with things that would actually be interesting to their brains. Like, what's this? I want to learn about this. Interesting what these believers believe. When you have a family get-together... Do you make everything for the babies who are going to be there? Do you have baby food on the table and you have nothing but baby talk? Or all you ever say at the table is gaga goo goo. And then you say about, yeah, gaga goo goo, that's right. 
Is that all you do? Because, oh, there might be babies there. No, you want the babies to hear the adult talk because you want the babies to grow up into the adult talk. And the pulpits of Jesus Christ must be, grow, of Jesus' churches must be growing people up to the adult level of Christian living and Christian understanding. Here's the third point. So the hymnody of the church of Jesus Christ should also lead to Christian maturity. The songs we sing, there can be a gradation. Look at Psalm 150. It's very short, it's very repetitive, it's very light, it's very easy. Nothing wrong with having some songs on that. Then look at Psalm 119. Try and sing that in one service. And there's everything in between. So there can be a range, but generally, what we sing should lead to Christian maturity. This means it should not be written by theological lightweights. It should not be little jars of Gerber hymns. It should not be milky hymns primarily, though there may be some milky parts. It should not be Jesus is my boyfriend songs. It should not be primarily emotion-producing songs. Oh, that made me feel. so. It should make you think serious, robust, biblical thoughts about God and heaven and hell and sanctification and justification and everything else about the Christian life. And mature hymnody will not necessarily, will not immediately be accessible to the baby in Christ any more than beefsteak is, but it'll help them grow. Where do you get that idea, Pastor Steve, of the hymnody of the church? Well, let's look at Colossians 3.16. Here it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what comes out of that? teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Your songs and hymns and spiritual songs should grow out of, should be produced by, should give evidence to the fact that the word of Christ is dwelling richly in you. And it should be a very important part of a church's teaching ministry. How are we going to bring Christians to maturity? We're going to sing songs that bring them to maturity. Now, come on, it isn't just Mark Stan and me who have heard of Martin Luther, the great reformer, right? Have you all heard of Martin Luther back in the 1500s, the great reformer? One of his greatest hymns, and he wrote a lot of hymns. He was a musician, and he wrote A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Ein Festberg in Germany. And it is said that he and his hymns dramatically influenced the writing of hymns for hundreds of years. In fact, one historian says of Luther, quote, Luther permanently changed the way music was written and performed in the church. Another wrote, quote, it was radical singing. He radically transformed church music. Why did he do that? Because prior to his time, church music was mainly in Latin, and it was mainly a choir doing the singing, and you just watched. They were the performers, and you were the audience. And Luther said, no, no, no. We need a rich indwelling of God's word, and we need to put it in the people's language, and they need to be the ones speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So another one wrote, quote, Luther's hymns were sold hot off the press as pamphlets, and they were literally taught to entire cities by traveling singers. So a bunch of traveling singers would come into your city and teach your, your city. Everybody would come out to hear it. What's this novel thing? They're teaching you Martin Luther's hymns in a place called, I'll pronounce it wrong, Magdeburg. Uh, Massed singing of his anthems converted the whole town months before Luther arrived to preach to them. They were converted by his hymns. 
So much so that Luther said, religious music is next to theology, and it is a gift from God. And Luther also said, and you'll like this one, I'm going to go ahead and read it, even though we're right here in church. He said, anybody who didn't like his hymns, quote, deserved to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. That's just the kind of man Luther was, and that's just the kind of man it took to start a reformation. His hymns were catchy, they were punchy, they made strong doctrinal points. And so Christian hymnody should make him proud, should make rich deposits of truth. All right, back to our text. Now we're out of time for that. Let me give you three more conclusions. There was going to be a little more of the text and then some more conclusions. Here's the more conclusions. So in closing, number one, slide man, you with me? Last three slides. Number one. Our fellowship with one another, my brothers and sisters, should be enriched by much speaking of the things of God. There ought to be a lot of us. It's not just our sermons. It's not just our sacred songs. It's also our fellowship. Our fellowship. You can go ahead. Our fellowship should be enriched by, the things of, by speaking of the things of God. Is it all right to talk about football? Sure. Is it all right to tell me about your golf game? Sure. Is it all right to talk about how things are going at work? Sure, please do. But please, at some point in there, can we get to more important things? Can we talk about things that relate to my soul and God's kingdom, heaven and hell and the word of God? There is a closing plea for you. Here's another one. Please don't be a 75-minute, once or twice a month Christian. You come to church for 75 minutes, once or twice a month. I don't know how the Word of God is going to dwell in you richly. I don't know how you're going to be richly involved in the fellowship of the body of Christ where believers are building up believers and they're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And third and finally, please pray and work to become a biblically mature believer. God has given what theologians have called the means of grace. Do you know what they are? God has given us means of grace. Think of them as like spigots. There's a spigot on the back of your house. If you're out working in the garden, you're getting thirsty. You go over to the spigot, it's got a little hose. You put the hose in your mouth, you turn on the spigot, and you take a drink. How many of you have done that? I've done All the guys in the room have done that. None of the girls. And God has spigots for us from which we can drink in his grace so that we can grow. And his spigots are... Uh, in part, this isn't the full list, but they are gathering with God's people on Sundays for worship, for preaching and receiving the word, for baptisms, for communion and remembering Christ, for fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. He expects these things to be the spigots to which you return week in and week out, all the way down through your life. And you want to train your children. We are faithful to go to these spigots because here's where God feeds our soul. And then there's things like private worship and family worship and other things that contribute to this. There's the ministry of your gifts. There's evangelism. Please pray and work to become a biblically mature believer. Well, how do I work to get there? By being faithful in the means of grace, the private ones and the gathered ones. I don't talk about this often, so I'll just tell you about it now. First thing I do, almost every morning, I get up a little before five. I'm down at my desk at 5.15 with a good cup of coffee. And the first thing I do is I grab this Bible right here, I open it up, and I read a big portion of the Old Testament. 
and I had to read a smaller portion of the New Testament. I'm just reading through consecutively, and I mark things as I go. And then often I'm like, I don't want to stop. So I read a lot more than I was going to because it's just so good. It's hard to stop. And then when I'm done Old Testament and I'm done New Testament, then I often think, let me just throw in a couple of Psalms. And at random, I just open the Psalms and start reading some Psalms. And then it's some prayer time, and that's praying about a lot of things, but especially it's responding to what was there in the Word. That's a spigot. I want to go to that spigot and get my soul nourished and fed and strengthened. Private means of grace. So please pray, oh, Father, Make me a biblically mature believer. Please work, take up the spigots, the means of grace to become a biblically mature believer that in all things Christ may be glorified. Amen, Cornerstone Church. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, make these things so in our midst. Make these things to be in our lives. Make us this kind of people for your praise, for your honor, for your glory. Please, may there, may there be an ever-growing number of biblically strong, robust, mature believers to worship you in this place. For we ask in the name of Jesus.